Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. Well, good evening. I uh, should introduce myself to some of you who uh, weren't out in the morning. I, I'm a latecomer to camp this week. Uh, my wife, Linda, and I arrived last night about 1030, and uh, we had been out on the West Coast. Uh, our families gathered for a memorial service for my father, who passed away a week ago Thursday, and Sunday was the memorial. It was it was one of those bittersweet times. Uh, there were tears. Uh, we'll miss him, and yet there was great joy. My dad uh, loved the Lord served the Lord as a pastor for 50-plus years. And uh, I, I think of the verse in 2 Peter 1 where it talks about receiving a rich welcome into heaven. And I kind of think that he's had the rich welcome. I don't know exactly what that would be like. But uh, we, we rejoiced for that, and we gathered as a family. And so then uh, we, we flew back from Vancouver yesterday into Toronto. Uh, thankfully, I think we missed the big deluge, which was the day before, and then drove up here. And we've been looking forward to being with you. And I'm so thankful for uh, my colleagues, uh, Stan Fowler and Dave Barker, who have uh, we've been teaming up on this. And we shuttled the schedule, and they were gracious enough to cover for me in my absence. And now I get a pickup in the evenings here for the next few nights. Uh, Stan on Sunday and Dave on uh, Monday and Tuesday, I believe, uh, have been focusing, in the evenings anyway, on psalms. We decided to to focus on a series of psalms. Uh, We're calling the series Songs in the Key of Life. Because, as you know, the Psalms are prayers, but they are sung prayers. They are prayers that were sung. They were songs. And uh, as such, the Psalms uh, are are wonderful things. They're they're almost like the soundtrack for a believer's life. You know, sometimes you can just get a CD that's the soundtrack of the movie, and you can just play it. It's almost like the Psalms are the soundtrack for a Christian's life. Because there really are songs that cover the range of human experience that we go through as believers. There are psalms or songs for days when you are simply, simply rejoicing. When you are caught up with the glory of God. Maybe as you're looking out over the lake or up in the trees and you see the majesty of God in creation. Or maybe it's been the goodness of God in redemption or his intervention in your life. There are psalms that capture that, aren't they? That just, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. There are those psalms. And then there's psalms, I think Dr. Barker did one, that are laments, times when we're suffering, when really our cry is in a minor key and we are saying to God, God, what's going on in my life? There are also psalms or songs for times when we are waiting, when we feel that life has us in a holding pattern, when we're stuck And it doesn't seem like we can move forward or go backward, and we're looking up to the Lord for him to come through and free us up and take us forward. You could call those songs for the times when you're in God's waiting room. I've spent a fair amount of time in waiting rooms over the last few years. In 2011, in February, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And that, uh, if some of you have been down that trail or another health thing like that, you know that you end up with a lot of time in doctor and hospital waiting rooms. I was waiting for doctor appointments and consultations. I would wait for tests, uh, MRIs and uh, 
CT scans. I would wait for test results that came back from those uh, scans. I waited for I waited in surgical waiting rooms a couple times for different surgeries, and then I waited in a radiation waiting rooms so I could get in for seven weeks every day to get radiated. And I tell you what, that was really a long wait because um, without getting too specific here, when you have prostate cancer radiation, they make you drink lots of water about 30 minutes before you go in for the radiation. And if they delay for some reason that your time to get in, let me just say the waiting becomes really long in that waiting room. Amen. <laughs> some, some feel my pain on that one, huh? And, and I realize here that really if we were to go around and if we had the time and the inclination to tell our stories, all of us here have gone through places or are in places where we are waiting. It may not be a medical thing. It may not be a doctor's office. But there are enough situations in life that come at us that cause us in the midst of that time to wait. Sometimes it's waiting for a financial reversal to reverse. Sometimes it's waiting for a ruptured relationship to mend. Sometimes it's waiting for a family to come back together or a child to come home. There's waiting in all kinds of situations. And waiting is one of the things that exacerbates the trial. Whatever it is, the waiting is sometimes as hard as the experience itself. Waiting can be deflating. Waiting can be excruciating. When I was going through the middle of those treatments, I came across a psalm that I had read before, but because it spoke about waiting, and I was in the middle of waiting, this psalm spoke to my soul. I remember reading it on a cold, wintry, I think it was an April morning. We were up in the Gatineau Hills at that time at a cottage, and it was one of those April mornings that didn't look like spring at all. There was snow falling in the air, and it was gray, and it was, it was cloudy, and my heart was so wanting spring to come in my soul, in my body, and in our world, and it wasn't that kind of day. But as I read this psalm, it was, like, it was like God allowed the heavens to open and there was some rays of warm hope came into my heart in the middle of my waiting. Nothing changed that day externally, but something changed that day internally. And tonight, I would like to bring you through that psalm. I'm calling it a song for the waiting room. And the psalm I'm speaking of is Psalm 40. So would you take a Bible, please, and join me there? Psalm 40. And let's look at a psalm that is a song for the waiting room. And wherever you are in your life at this, this moment, whatever aspect of waiting is God's providential gift to you, I'm hoping that tonight God's word would speak in a very specific and clear way and bring the warmth of hope even on a cloudy day or a dark time in your life. So let's pray and ask the Lord to do that. Father in heaven, we come before you as the one who knows us so thoroughly that we can hide nothing from you. Lord, you know, you know what's going on in every single life here. You know the things that are so private, almost no one else in the world knows, but you know it fully. And you see the areas where we feel stuck in life, where we feel stranded, where we feel put on hold. And tonight I'm asking that as your word has spoken to that kind of situation, it will speak again. That your spirit would allow it to find its way into our hearts and that this living, breathing word of God would breathe and live in us tonight. 
And I'm asking this in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. Psalm 40 begins by David speaking about waiting. Look at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. That verse kind of sets the tone for this psalm and sets the theme. Waiting. There's a, there's a sense of waiting. David begins and says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Our English translation doesn't really have the same kind of impact as the original Hebrew does in this case, because the Hebrew is so rare, at least in our, in our Western way of thinking. What David actually does here is he just uses the verb twice, the Hebrew verb, the same verb twice. You could translate it to wait, I waited on the Lord. It's almost like he just takes the word and says, I want to repeat it right off the top so you know that I really waited. The message paraphrase puts this verse this way. It says, I waited and waited and waited for the Lord. That's kind of the feel that David is saying. Now, David was a man who had his share of time in God's waiting room. You remember his story. He had to wait for a long time. He was anointed to be the next king of of Israel, and he waited, uh, the chronology seems to suggest he waited a, at least a decade, 10 years, before he was crowned as king of Judah, and then I think it was about another seven years before he was installed as king over the nation. So you do the math there, and you're talking 17 years of waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And, and you know David's story. The time that he spent waiting wasn't just waiting at the beach at Muskoka, just kind of chilling until it all came true. He was, he was hunted for much of those early years by a maniacal king, Saul, who, who was dead set on having David dead. And so David spent much of that time waiting on the run. And he waited for God to deal with Saul. He had his own chances to take, take matters into his own hands, and some of his buddies wanted to help him, but he wouldn't do it. He waited on the Lord, and he waited, and he waited. And so he begins this psalm by telling us a bit of his story, and he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited and waited and waited for the Lord. And I believe that if we'll look closely, David begins to help us. Right in this first verse, he helps us to know what does it mean to wait on the Lord. You know, it's easy to say that, well, we should wait on the Lord. But a question would be, well, okay, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? I think if we look closely at verse 1, we could come up with a definition, a working definition of waiting on the Lord. And what we'll see is, I think you could put it this way, waiting on the Lord means this, Waiting on the Lord means keeping hope alive until help arrives. That's going to be our working definition tonight for waiting on the Lord. It means keeping hope alive until help arrives. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. Keeping hope alive, hope in God alive, until help from God arrives. Now you say, well, where do you get that idea of keeping hope alive? Well, again, if you look at the little word waited... The Hebrew word there that's translated waited, the one that David uses twice, is a richly nuanced word. It's hard to bring it into English in one single word. It often has the idea of hope. In fact, in fact, that same Hebrew word is sometimes translated into English by the word hope. Psalm 52 verse 11 says, in your name I will hope. It's the same word for wait. 
Isn't that interesting? In, it could have been translated, in your name I will, I will wait, but the translator saw this nuance more of hope, in your name I will hope. Or here's one that you'll know, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, or I think the NIV says those, or those who hope in the Lord. Same word. And the idea here of this word wait is this idea of waiting in hopeful anticipation. It's, it's waiting with hope. It's waiting with a sense of confident expectation. Now, that's not true necessarily of our English word for wait. When we say I'm waiting in English, our English word doesn't always have the sense of hopeful waiting, right? I mean, sometimes it's like hopeless waiting. Somebody will say, well, I'm waiting for my ship to come in. They're not holding their breath, right? They're, they're thinking it's probably not going to happen. Or I'm waiting for my big break in life. It's kind of a, you know, there, there's maybe a wish, but there's not a lot of confidence there. But in our word, when, when David says this, when he says, I waited for the Lord, he has the idea that I am waiting and I have confidence as I wait. I'm keeping hope alive. That's why, in fact, in verse 4, if you look down, he segues and goes from talking about waiting, and he moves to talking about trusting. Look at verse 4, please. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. You see, that's because this idea of waiting has this idea of hopefulness, which leads to trusting. So when you wait on the Lord, you are keeping hope alive. You're trusting in the Lord. There's this confidence. And you keep hope alive until help arrives. Because the very, the very sense of waiting means that help hasn't showed up yet. You're still waiting for it, right? Romans 8, uh, Romans 8 talks about this. Romans 8, let me give you the verse. Romans 8, 24 says, Who hopes for what he already has? In other words, you don't wait when something that you're waiting for shows up. Waiting's over. You don't have to keep hoping for it if you already have it. But when you're waiting on the Lord, the idea is you are hoping in God, you are trusting in him, you're keeping hope alive until help arrives and the help hasn't shown up yet. So if that's what it means to wait on the Lord, keeping hope alive till help arrives, the next question would be this. How in the world do you do that? Because waiting tends to be deflating. It tends to take the wind out of your sails. It tends to wear you down. It tends to, in time, erode your hope, erode your confidence. So how do you keep waiting in hope? How do you keep hope alive? And I think the rest of the psalm tells you. The rest of the psalm helps you know how you do this. How do you keep hope alive until God's helps arrive? So what I want us to do now is work our way from verse 2 down through verse 17 because David is going to tell you how he waited on the Lord, how he waited patiently, how he waited hopefully, how he waited confidently. And how David did it is going to help us know how we can do it. So I want you to think of an area where you are waiting on the Lord right now, okay, some aspect of your life. And as we go through this, I want you to apply it to that situation. And let's find out, how do you do that? Well, verses 2 through 17, in a macro way, are going to tell us, here's what it's going to take to keep hope alive. And then we'll break it down a little bit more. First thing we've seen is, waiting on the Lord means keeping hope alive to help arise. But now, verses 2 through 17 tells you how you do it. And I would summarize it this way. Waiting on the Lord takes 
active steps of faith. Waiting on God takes active steps of faith. David is going to say that waiting actually involves action. It involves taking active steps of faith. That's what we'll see in verses 2 through 17. And why that's significant for us to to realize is that when we talk about waiting in our English parlance, we often see waiting as a rather passive thing. Like we're waiting for the bus. You just kind of stand there, right? And you look at your watch, and you stand there, and you look down the road, then you look at your watch, and you look at the other people who are all looking at their watches. I mean, we're all just waiting, and we're rather passive. In fact, one of the English definitions that I looked up on waiting says to be inactive. So when we think of waiting, we often think of it's kind of a spectator sport, something you do, and you don't do a lot of movement. But biblically, waiting on the Lord is active. It takes active steps of faith. Here's a fascinating little verse. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 8 says this. Listen to this, Isaiah 26, 8. It says, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Think about that. Walking in the ways of your law, we wait for you. So Isaiah, you're waiting on the Lord? Yes, I'm waiting on the Lord. How are you doing that, Isaiah? Well, I'm, I'm walking in the ways of his law. So waiting involves taking active steps of faith. And I think in Psalm 40, David tells you five steps of faith you and I are supposed to take when we're waiting on God. So let's look at them. The first step of faith shows up really in verses 2, actually verses 1 through 5. Let me read them for you. Verses 1 to 5, and here's what we're going to find. Here's the first step of faith. David did it. You and I can do it. And that is simply this. When you're waiting on God, your first step of faith is to remember. It's to remember God's past deliverance. Remember his past deliverance. Remember what he did in the past. It's part of waiting on God. You recall the things that God has done prior. Look at verses 1 to 5. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare." Now, if you just read those five verses, if you just read those five verses, you might conclude that David wrote this psalm at a high point in his life, right? I mean, verse two, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on the rock. It almost is like you would think that David was, he used to be kind of, you know, stuck in the mud, and now he's standing on the rock, He used to be singing the blues, and now he's singing, bless the Lord, right? Or as Warren Wiersbe said, it seems like he's gone from the mire to the choir, right? He's got a new song in his mouth. He's a happy guy. It seems like he's in a good place in life. But if you read the rest of the psalm, particularly verse 17, you find out David is not writing this at a good place in his life. Look at verse 17. Look how he ends the psalm. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. 
You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, my God, do not delay. He's still waiting at this point. So what's going on in verses 1 to 5? Here's what's going on. David is recalling, he's remembering God's past deliverances. He's letting his mind go back to other times when he was in a difficult place and God came through for him. And I think that's instructive for us. Listen, if you are waiting for God to come through for you in the present, you can follow David's lead and remember how God has come through for you in the past. You say, well, I don't feel like doing that. I, don't, I mean, I, I'm not emotionally in the place where that feels like a great thing. And I would say, well, I don't know that David was either. It's not about how you're feeling right now. Why don't you just still remember what God did for you? That's what David does. He recalls God's deliverances in the past, even while he's waiting for fresh deliverance in the present. So I thought we should do that tonight. We're among friends, right? So here's what I want you to do for the next 30 seconds or a minute or so. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and tell them one time that you can think of when God came through for you in a significant way that you still remember like right off the top. You don't have to dig deep in your recesses of your memory to remember this. This was one of those epic moments in your life where God came through. It might have happened yesterday. It might have happened 10 years ago. But for you, this is a mile marker. God came through. So would you do that? Would you turn to somebody? Somebody near you, and you probably all don't have time to talk, but somebody give an example of how God came through in the past. Ready? Break. Go at it. Okay. Now, that little exercise that you just did briefly is what David does when he's waiting on God. It's one of the active steps you take to keep hope alive till help arrives. And you do that whether or not you're feeling really keen on doing that. You just say, you know what? I need right now as I'm waiting, it seems like help's never going to come. But I remember other times in my life where it seemed like help was never going to come, and God sent it. Oh, I waited, but he came through. And part of learning to keep hope alive is remembering how God has come through in the past. David does that, verses 1 to 5. How about a second step? A second thing David does, verses 6 through 8. Second thing he does is not only remembering God's past deliverance, but here's the second one. Reaffirm your present dedication. So you're remembering what he did in the past, and you reaffirm or you confirm your present dedication. You tell God, I'm still all in with you. I'm still trusting you. I'm still yours. Look at how David does that. You reaffirm your present dedication. Verse 6, please. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, let's unpackage that a bit. Verse 6 is a bit quizzical because he says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. That's a bit strange because David would have known the law, the Old Testament law, and God actually mandated certain sacrifices and offerings. So how can David say, God, you don't require them when the Bible, the Old Testament law, says that God did require them? What's, what's he doing? I think David is speaking in a way that's often found in Hebrew kind of poetry and language in that he's saying something really strong to make a very specific point. And essentially what he's saying is this, God, what you really want most 
is not my sacrifice, my animal sacrifice, not my grain offerings. What you want most is me. Because look what he says, sacrifice and offering, verse 6, you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. My ears you have pierced. Now, that may be a reference. There's a couple options on how you understand that. That may be a reference to when a bond slave which could have their freedom, but they choose to continue to serve a master, and uh, there was this little ceremony where they got their ear pierced. They'd put their ear up against the door jam, and they'd put a all through it and make a mark, and that was like the sign, like piercing the ear, I'm yours, dedication. Or it may, other interpreters say, well, actually, the Hebrew word there for pierce is the word dug, and it could mean, uh, as, as some translations say, my ears you have dug. You've opened them. Like my ears were stopped up. And you've opened them so I can hear. But either way, it's kind of like saying, God, like either I'm yours or I'm listening. And, and this is what it, David goes on to say. He says, then I said, verse 7, here I am. I have come. It's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Think what David is saying this, God, I know that what you most want is not just for me to bring an animal sacrifice or a grain offering. What you really want is me. You want me. You want my ears pierced. You want my ears opened. You want me to come saying, here I am. It's written about me in your book. I desire to do your will. Your law is on my heart. I'm bringing you a surrendered will. I'm bringing you a devoted heart. I am reaffirming my present dedication to you. Now, why is that significant? I think partly it's significant because when you are waiting on God and he doesn't seem in any hurry to come through, it's possible to start saying to God, well, listen, when you start coming through for me, then I'll start coming back to you. In other words, it doesn't seem like you're all in with me right now, God. I've been asking you for this thing, and you're not seeming to do it. So I'm not necessarily all in with you right now. But David is not doing that. He's saying, God, I'm waiting on you. We saw verse 17 ends. God, don't delay. Please come quick. But in the middle of his waiting, he still says to God, my heart is surrendered. It's devoted to you. I desire to do your will. I'm giving you all that I am. I'm reaffirming my present dedication to you. Right now, even before help arrives, I'm still yours. That is a powerful thing when you tell God that, and you mean that in the midst of your waiting. So tonight, if you're waiting on a situation right now and you're asking God to come through, you remember how he's come through in the past, but then there's a second step you can take, and that is right now in the midst of that, reaffirming your present dedication to him. When I was waiting on those tests and waiting to go through all those treatments, I listened to a song by a, a Christian artist, a young guy named Matt Marr, and he has a song called Lay It Down. And essentially the words are very simple. It just says, everything I am, everything I hope to be, I lay it down at your feet. And he says that about 10 times. And I would put that song on as I was waiting, and I would just say, God, as best I can, I want this to be my song to you. Everything that I am, everything I hope to be, I'm laying it down at your feet. And it was a way for me at that moment to try to reaffirm my present dedication to him, even before help arrived. 
So I thought I would give us a chance to do that tonight. And this one is more private. I'm not going to invite you to talk to somebody else. I'm going to invite you to take a moment and talk to God. I want to just give us a moment of silence, and I want to give you the opportunity. You can't, you can't fool God. You can't scam him. So I'm not going to just ask you to say words that you don't mean. But I would encourage you, if you're in the middle of waiting, and you're tired of waiting, and you're disappointed that it's not come yet, to still affirm tonight, tonight, this very night, your present dedication to the Lord. To say, Lord, I'm still all in. I desire to do your will. It's written of me. Your law's on my heart as a statement of your active step of faith. So would you, I'm going to just give us a moment to bow our heads, calm our hearts, quiet our hearts. And why don't you talk to the Lord right now? And if you can affirm your present dedication to him, tell him that. Do that in your own words. Bring your heart to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for some of us, it is a real sacrifice of praise tonight to come to you and say that we, we still affirm that even before you show up in ways that we've been wanting you to show up, we are here tonight to say you have us, all of us, heart, mind, body, and soul. We affirm that you are our God. Like Peter, we say, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You have purchased us by the blood of your son. We are your children. And even before help arrives, Lord, we want you to know we still trust you and we belong to you. Here are our prayers of dedication, we pray, and may it be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do you take active steps of faith to keep hope alive until help arrives? Well, you remember God's past deliverance. You reaffirm your present dedication. And then third, verses 9 and 10, third thing that David did that you and I can do is engage in congregational worship. Engage in congregational worship. This is an interesting one. Look at verse 9. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Did you notice how verse 9 begins and verse 10 ends with this phrase, great assembly, great assembly? What's the great assembly? Well, that would have been for him, that would have been the tabernacle, right? That would have been where the Israelites gathered to worship. For us, that would be church. He, David, what David is saying is, even while I'm waiting on you, God, I'm still going to the great assembly, and when I go, I'm not just sitting and sulking. I'm entering in. He says in verse 9, I'm proclaiming your righteousness. I'm not sealing up my lips. I'm not hiding it in my heart. I'm speaking of your faithfulness. He is engaging in congregational worship. And here's one that many, many Christians miss. I've been a pastor for a lot of years. And what I've discovered is this. When people are going through hard times, when they feel they're waiting on God and God doesn't seem to be showing up on their time schedule, many people have a tendency to just pull back from the great assembly. They stop coming to church very regularly. They go, you know, I'm just, I'm just not into it right now. It's a tough time. I don't really care to be there. Everybody else is happy. Everybody else is singing and feel like a hypocrite. I, I don't know. I'm just not that interested. And they pull away. 
And I would say to them, that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Now, this is the time to come to the great assembly. This is the t- and when the great assembly is singing, sing for all your worth. And they say, well, I don't feel like singing. Well, I didn't ask you if you feel like singing. The Bible just says, sing to the Lord. So come and engage by choice of your will and see what God does in your heart. And, and, and don't just come and, and, and be tepid and timid. Come like David and say, I'm going to come and I'm going to engage in this. I'm going to be all in. See, it's not just enough to privately tell God, God, I'm still yours. There is a sense in which we were meant to live as a community of faith. And David says, it's not just that privately I'm keeping things good with me and the Lord. I'm also going with God's people. And if you're going through a waiting time right now, I would appeal to you, don't pull away from the church that you're a part of. Don't get infrequent. Don't start getting kind of spotty in showing up. This is a time when you need them more than you know. And there's something very healing about being with the gathered assembly and hearing other people saying, even when you feel your own voice can hardly add anything to it. There's something powerful about being in God's presence as the word of God is preached and proclaimed. Don't remove yourself from that. It's part of waiting on the Lord. So let me ask you, why don't you do a little analysis of your calendar over the last couple months? How are you doing when it comes to regularly engaging with the people of God in corporate worship? Like if you were to take a calendar and tick off the last number of Sundays, how many of those Sundays would you say, well, yeah, I guess I didn't go anywhere that day. And oh, yeah, I guess I was kind of busy that day. And ooh, that day we didn't really go either. Is there a, is there a pattern of you pulling back I'd say, listen, when you're waiting on God, that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Engage in congregational worship. So remember God's past deliverances. Reaffirm your present dedication. Engage in congregational worship. Let me show you a fourth from verses, verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12, David does a fourth thing that you and I can do, and that is simply this. This one will be easy for some of you, maybe a little harder for some of us who are proud. But uh, the fourth thing David does is admit Admit your helpless condition. Admit your helpless condition. For some of us, that's really easy to do. And others of us, we hate to admit our helpless condition. But listen, here's David. Here's David admitting his helpless condition. Look at verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and truth always protect me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. He's pretty candid and pretty uh, clear about that, isn't he? He's saying, I got troubles all around me. They're surrounding me. And I got troubles inside of me. In fact, I got more sins than I got hair. Now, for some people, they'd be pretty good with that because they don't got a lot of hair, but, uh, so they'd say, I don't have very many sins. But the average young adult has 100,000 hairs, okay? So David, let's say he's not a young adult, but let's say he's a man and he's got a full head of hair at this point. He's going, you know, I can't count my hair and I can't even count my sins. Now there's a candor and an honesty there that I think befits someone who's waiting on God. And I find that to be a very refreshing invitation to say that when I'm waiting on God, I don't have to try to Photoshop the picture in my heart and make it better than it is. Psalm 62, verse 8 says, pour out your heart to God. Like whatever's in there, pour it out. And when you are waiting on God, don't be afraid 
to bring him the full picture of what's going in your heart. Because when you think of it, he already knows it, right? You're not telling him something he doesn't know, but you are admitting something that you need to know. And that's simply this. God, I'm helpless without you. I cannot get myself out of this. I, am, I cannot be my own savior. So let me ask you, are you doing that? Are you coming before the Lord with your requests? And are you being strong enough with him to say, Lord, without you, I have no other hope. God, I'm waiting on you because I can't fix this. And I don't know anyone that can fix this other than you. And there is, there is a, a beauty when a Christian gets to the point where they are real about their sins and they're real about their situation and they come before God saying, God, I got a lot of sin in my life and I got a lot of problems outside of my life. By the way, some people just say I have a lot of problems out there, but they're really slow to admit the sins in here. I've spoken to a lot of people over the years who are going through deep waters and they're very clear about how everybody else is screwing up. But they're very slow to acknowledge that maybe some of that messing up is, is also in here. David does both. He says, I got problems surrounding me, and I got sins inside of me. So I want to give you another moment to pray. And this, this time, I want you just to have a chance to honestly tell God the state of the union of your heart. I want you to kind of just tell him, Lord, I've got stuff inside of me, and I got stuff around me that I can't fix. I need you. So why don't you take a second right now and just be honest with him and admit what's going on. He knows it anyway, but he invites you to bring it into his presence. Let's pray silently where you are. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus because our sins cannot be atoned for just by our own penance or by our own apologies. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are those who stand in the need of Christ right now. We need his his sacrificial atonement for us. We need, we need the blood that he shed to be applied to our lives. We are helpless to save ourselves. And we ask for your forgiveness where we have failed you, fallen short. Lord, we have more sins than we have here as well. And Lord, we also acknowledge that some of the situations we face are bigger than we can solve. They're surrounding us. And we just come to you, Lord, and we admit what's real. We admit what we know. And that is we cannot save ourselves. We need you. So hear our hearts. And I, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the active steps of waiting on the Lord, you remember his past deliverances. You reaffirm your present dedication. You engage in congregational worship. You admit your helpless condition, and there's one final thing David does that we can do. Verses 13 to 17, you appeal, you appeal, you ask for immediate intervention. You, you keep saying, God, could you please come right now? Could you come right away? Even though you've been waiting, you still say, Lord, would you come now? I need you now. That's what David does. He's not afraid to ask God to come quickly. Look at it, verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. Oh, Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Look how he ends. Oh, my God, 
do not delay. You appeal for immediate intervention. You still come before the Lord. You ask, you seek, you knock, and you don't give up. You don't stop praying. You don't stop asking just because the answer hasn't come as quickly as you wanted. And again, here's where some of us fall short. We lose heart. We stop praying. We say, well, I already asked God to come and help, and he hasn't yet. Well, David would say, well, I was waiting too, but I kept asking. I kept seeking. Remember how Jesus told parables about the little widow who wanted to get the unrighteous judge to help her? And he says, listen, if she would keep asking and finally get help from an unrighteous judge, don't you think you should keep asking and get help from the righteous judge? Jesus told us to to pray and not faint and not lose heart. And so like David, we keep coming before the Lord and we keep coming before the Lord. Some of you have been praying about a situation that you're waiting for. You've been praying for months and in some of your cases, you've been praying for years. I would say to you on the authority of God's word, keep asking God to come. Don't stop asking until he makes it clear that his answer is no, final no. As long as you're not sure, you keep asking. Now, he'll shift your heart, he'll change, he'll show you what he needs, but you keep, David kept asking, Lord, help me. Lord, don't delay. Now, you may hear all this and say, well, I don't think I could do all those things that David did. At least I don't do them perfectly. I, I don't always remember what God's done in the past, and to be honest, I'm not always that dedicated in the present, and sometimes I do shy away from congregational worship, and I don't always admit my helpless conditions, and I sometimes stop asking for immediate help. I, I haven't done this all the way right, and I would say to you, neither did David, neither have I, neither has any of us, and that's the beauty of ending this psalm, remembering that a portion of this psalm is quoted by Jesus or quoted about Jesus. Did you know that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7, the writer of Hebrews takes the words from uh, Psalm 40 and, he, and he, he, he puts them as Jesus speaking them. Listen to this. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said... Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Jesus speaking, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. You see, Jesus came and he fully presented himself to do the will of God. Jesus came and he fully devoted himself to the Father. And that's why even those of us who have fallen so far short of doing this, we come to Christ and we say, Jesus, you are our righteousness. You are our hope. You did this. You waited on your father. You waited in the garden and you poured out your heart for help. You waited as you hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you left me? And you waited in the tomb for those days until, you, until God, your God, your father raised you from the dead exalted you to that highest place. And Jesus, you did this. You showed us what it was like to wait in a perfect way. And that's why at the end of the day, we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, would you give me the strength to do what you want me to do? To help me to wait on you. See, waiting on the Lord means keeping hope alive until help arrives. And it takes active steps of faith. It's not easy. But, oh, it's worth it. 
want to close tonight by inviting some of the worship team to come up. And I want to sing you a song. In the middle of going through that uh, treatment that I went through, on that, on that day that I read the psalm, that April day that was all snowy, I read the psalm, I picked up my guitar and put a real simple lyric to this psalm. And I want to sing it to you because it became the expression of my heart of waiting on the Lord. And I hope that it kind of captures a little bit of the feel of the psalm and what was going on in my soul and maybe connects with yours. So can you come? For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.